The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. All right, can you hear me? Good morning, good morning. All right. I just want to say also that I'm just extremely uh, thankful uh, for the students in our body that are part of uh, Youth Leadership Memphis. Uh, just even just excited about the fact that Eric, I know you'll be graduating. You're out there somewhere this semester. Malik, you'll be graduating this semester. Uh, and James is going to the National Guard. And so I'm excited for them. And that's worth clapping for. Yeah, that is worth clapping for. And they are, they are great, amazing guys who uh, they have provided a lot of joy and leadership to me as well, just getting to know uh, those fellas. So they're seniors and they're getting ready to get out of here. And Alexis Gilchrist, I know you're a senior too. You're about to get ready to roll too. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah, well, that's awesome. Um, can a little buzz. Let me see if I move this, if that buzz will go away. Um, and so we are continuing our series uh, called DNA, in which we uh, as a church are just taking some time to look at the core essentials of who we are as downtown church. So uh, if you've been with us for a while, hopefully that helps you know uh, more about us and who we are, and it helps you uh, dig deeper into who we are. And if you're new with us, that helps you investigate and see if this is a place you want to hang around uh, for a little while. And so we're going to be uh, talking about some just some core essential doctrines. I'm going to try to not go to classroom and to seminary uh, on you today. Uh, so uh, we're talking about uh, something called, it's a, it's, a, it's a big crazy word, hypostatic union. Now, I'm not going to say that a bunch because that might not mean uh, nothing to you, but that's the doctrine that we hold to and we're going to talk about that. I'm going to try to break that down over the next uh, 30 minutes or so. And so uh, we're just going to spend some time and talk about that. But before we go any further, let's Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus' name. Uh, we thank you uh, for the opportunity to worship and gather. Uh, we know that everyone isn't able to worship and gather in a safe place. And so we praise you and thank you for that. And we don't take that for granted. Uh, just, God, free us from Bible Belt Christianity that's so used to talking about Jesus and so used to just singing worship songs that when we come into these type of spaces, it's just another Sunday. God, free us from that as well. I pray that we would see you with fresh eyes and hear you uh, with fresh ears, Lord. I pray uh, that you would move me out of the way. Let me decrease so that you can increase, Father God. I pray that, that your word would open up and that your people uh, would hear from you. I pray that you would bind up the sick and the wounded, Father God, and you would heal the brokenhearted, uh, that you would humble the proud and uh, help those who don't know you to know you. Father God, nothing happens apart from you. Speak to us through your word. It's in your mighty sons, Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. 
19th century, a historian by the name of Thomas Carlyle uh, coined this term, uh, the great man theory. The great man theory. And the great man theory is a leadership philosophy that basically means this. Great men are born, and history is basically about those great men. And so basically, uh, we spend our lives looking for these great men to follow, and uh, we, we look for these great men to rescue us um, in society, and, and then we're always searching for the great men. And so Thomas Carlyle did research on people like uh, Augustus Caesar and Alexander the Great and all these, all these great men. And the idea of the great man is this, that he's going to rescue us, uh, he's going to fix everything, and he's going to make everything right. And we've kind of fallen into that still, right? That's the 19th century. We still, we've kind of fallen into that still in the 21st century. We still place our hope in men, hoping that somebody's going to come and just make everything right. And so it, it even happens every four years. Somebody says they're going to make everything right. I'm going to fix everything. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to change society. And we get our hopes up and say, yes, he, he or she is going to finally do it. And we place all our hope in that person. And they disappoint us. And somebody else comes again. And again, this, this one is going to do it. All right? And we place our hope in this great man theory. This also shows up in our private lives. So we, we, we say to someone that I'm going to be your everything, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to be your hero. Fellas, you get down on that one knee and you promise the world, right? And then some of us spend our, our lives longing for that, for that person that's going to make everything right, uh, that's going to make everything new. And we spend our lives longing and longing and longing. If you've been around for five minutes, you know that that's not the way it really works. If you've been around for a little while, you know that there are no superheroes in this world. Instead, there are only flawed and broken people. Uh, many of us have grown apathetic and disappointed because of this, because we've had our heart broken, right? We, we've grown apathetic towards the systems and the governments of this world. We've grown apathetic towards the church because a pastor or a ministry leader or someone uh, has let us down, right? We felt the feeling of defeat as spouses as we haven't been able to live up to everything that we said we were going to do and everything that we said we were going to be as spouses. We feel that feeling of, and you get it, right? As parents, as leaders, as educators, like I'm not the superhero and I, and I really don't know who is sometimes. We, we feel like that. Um, there's still this longing and this longing and we want that hero to be out there who's going to make everything right in society. We want that hero who's going to make everything right in our personal lives. We want that hero who's going to make everything right in our homes and there's this longing and this longing and this longing. As we come to our text in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 through 14, and it's going to be up on the screen, but feel free to open up your Bible as well. We're going to spend quite a bit of time uh, moving around today. 
But as we open our text to Daniel chapter 7, uh, 13 through 14, uh, we see the people of God in Israel wrestling with this very same tension. They're wrestling with these very same aspirations and hopes. Uh, We're in the book of Daniel and the prophet Daniel is speaking to a people who have uh, lost everything essentially, right? The, The worst thing that could happen to you in that point in history was for you to be taken captive, for another another nation to basically come and say, we're taking everything and you're not captive to us. You now have to worship our idols. You you now have to bow down to us and you have no freedom. And that's uh, the place that the people of God find themselves in, uh, in the book of Daniel. All right. And they're they're being kind of oppressed by this man by the name of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king at that time. So the people of Israel are in this scary place. And what they were tempted to do when they were in that scary place is to grasp for some great man. There wasn't the Lord, as a matter of fact, to come and help them. So they'd make alliances with other nations, with Egypt and Syria, right? And, and, and they would try to grasp for that great man in hopes that someone uh, would come and save them. But the Lord has a word for them from the prophet Daniel. And he said, don't make alliances with this world. Don't fall into that great man theory. Don't put your hope in these other nations and these false kings and bow down to their idols. The Lord has a word for you about one who's going to come and make all things new. There's a real king that has a kingdom that is far greater than anything that you are afraid of or attempted to bow down to now. Let's hear uh, the prophet Daniel speaking to his people. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heavens, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, that's God, and was presented before him, and, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Friends, there is coming one who's going to come on the clouds of heaven. Heaven, And this man will have a kingdom that will expand to every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And everything will be under his sovereignty. That's what the Lord is saying to his people. And can you imagine the way that the people in bondage are feeling about this? They're in bondage to Nebuchadnezzar. They have to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. But the Lord is saying there is coming one who even Nebuchadnezzar is going to have to bow down to. And so Nebuchadnezzar, even you, your power will be checked. And check this out. This new kingdom will not stop and it will not be destroyed. And the name of this king is King Jesus And we don't place our hope in the great systems of this world. We don't place our hope in the governments of this world. They come, they go, they shut down. (laughs) And even when that shuts down, the kingdom of God does not shut down. We have a sovereign God who has an everlasting kingdom that will last forever. And that's what God is telling his people about this kingdom and this King Jesus uh, that's coming. Right? And so we're going to spend the rest of our time today uh, talking about Jesus Christ. The most controversial 
right, yet influential historical figure of all times. All right, and, and I know in a crowd this size, some of you are skeptical about who Jesus is, and want to, we want to be patient and, and, and with you as you journey along that way. And so, but we want to talk about who uh, Jesus is. He was a historical figure. Uh, he was someone that people outside of the Bible wrote about. Uh, some 500 witnesses saw him uh, after uh, the resurrection. Uh, and his movement is one that is still impacting today. They say that you can tell the size of a ship by the size of the waves that it leaves in the water. And Jesus has left some pretty big waves uh, in the water. He didn't have a military. He didn't have a bunch of money. He didn't have a bunch of resources. But somehow that message has spanned the entire globe in some 2,000 years. So I think he's a person worth uh, legitimately investigating of who he is. And so what we're going to start today is this, that Jesus is 100% God. Jesus Christ is 100% God. And one of the reasons that we know this is because Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed it himself. That's how he knew himself uh, to be. And he was in a, a, a sticky situation. And he could have chosen to say, oh, I'm not God. But he chose to stand on it. I am God. That's what he's saying. And we're going to look at Mark chapter 14, verses 61 through 64. Like I said, we're going to move around a little bit today. And so the situation is, Jesus is before the council. And they basically have arrested him. His hands are tied. And they just want to answer. They want to know, Jesus, are you, are, are you the son of God? Are you God? Are you claiming to be the Messiah? And he knows that if he says yes to that question, they're going to kill him. They're going to take his life. And so he's in this position where he has to either say, no, I'm not. I was just kidding. I lost a bet. Right? Or I am the son of God. So Mark 14, 61 through 64. And it says, but he remained silent and made no answer against the high priest. And they asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Here's that moment of tension. He could say no and he'll be fine. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? They condemned him as one deserving death. He said that I'm the one who Daniel was talking about. Daniel said one was coming like the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. And Jesus has this moment to back up and backpedal. He says, no, that was me. That was me who the prophet spoke of. That was me. He knows what this meant. He knows that these are fighting words, y'all. He knows that these are words that's going to get him sent to the cross. He's, he was very acquainted with the scriptures. And he knew what that prophecy meant. And he knew who he was claiming to be. And here we have Jesus himself saying, yes, I am the Messiah. I am the one who Daniel was talking about. Now... Obviously, people think differently about this. And like I said, I want to be sensitive to my brothers and sisters here who come from different backgrounds. Muslims would say that he was just a prophet. 
Our Mormon brothers and sisters would say he was a man that eventually became God over time. We don't believe that. We believe that he was always God eternally with the Father and the Son, three and uh, one. Some people believe he was just this good man, but Jesus Christ himself facing death, facing crucifixion says that I am the Messiah. And so I'm going to go with what he said about himself. Jesus claims that he's God. Not only did Jesus claim that he was God, his enemies said that he was God. Those who were against him, that's why they crucified him. He wasn't crucified for being a good man. He wasn't crucified for being a prophet. He was crucified because Jesus Christ said that he was God. And even the devil himself knew that Jesus was God. The demons knew uh, that Jesus was God. And some people say that Satan has better theology on who Jesus is than some Christians. He knows. He might not submit to him and bow down, but he knows. Look at Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 through 34. It says, And when he came to the other side, to the country of Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. These demons are present, and everybody's terrified of them. They're big, and they're bad, and they're terrifying the whole town, right? And so they're, they're, they're scaring everybody else that's in their path. But check this out, verse 29. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Do you hear their response to Jesus? All right, they have been terrifying everybody else, but they're not terrifying Jesus. All right? They didn't roll up their sleeves and say they're ready to give Jesus a fight. No, they, they, they didn't say they were ready to go toe-to-toe with Jesus. They knew what was up, as they say. They knew that this wasn't a fight that they could win. Satan knows who Jesus is, right? And so we see that in the scriptures, even the devil himself and his demons know that there will be a day where they will have to bow down and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So friends, if the demons know that Jesus is Lord, you and I better know that Jesus is Lord, if we're naming the name of Jesus Christ as our Savior. And I want to talk to someone right now. Because Jesus is God, you don't have to be afraid of anything. And because Jesus is Lord, you don't have to be afraid of anyone. He says, don't fear the one who, who kills the body. <laughs> but fear the, one, fear the one who can kill the body and the soul and throw that into hell. He says, don't, don't fear man. Don't fear Satan. Don't be looking for a demon around every bush. Right? He is sovereign. He is Lord. And he reigns over everything. He is God. And you tell Satan, by the way, the next time he threatens you to make you afraid, you tell him what his future is, which is you will be defeated. And one day you will be destroyed. And no weapon formed against me shall prosper. That's the truth of God for God and his people. That's what you have in your corner. Amen. 
And this, and it, it goes on and on. We have so much evidence of, of, of who God is. You just look through the book of John. It, it just tells you that Jesus is God. So, um, this week... Uh, and this matters, by the way. This isn't just head stuff. I'm telling you, when you get in the thick of it in real life, who Jesus is to you really matters. So Michael, Richard, and I had the opportunity to go to Alabama this past week to Selma uh, and Montgomery. And we have the privilege of going to the Museum of uh, National Memorial for Peace and Justice in Montgomery, Alabama. And what they have there is this uh, museum that pays a memorial to all of the people that they know of in the United States who were victim of lynching crimes. Over some 800 um, uh, counties, including Shelby County, are represented. Uh, in, in this museum. And so I'm there and I'm, I'm hearing the stories of how people uh, were lynched because they were annoying. Uh, how people were uh, lynched uh, because they were just standing around. Uh, because how people were lynched because they made eye contact with someone uh, from the dominant culture. And I'm just viewing all this and taking all of this in. Uh, and then at the beginning of the uh, memorial, you see this sculpture of this woman uh, holding one child in one arm and reaching for another child that she just got ripped from her hands. And in seeing that, man, it was, it, it kind of broke me a little bit, uh, seeing all of that trauma, and I asked myself the question of, man, how did the people who went through this keep on going? Man, what did they hold on to? What did they cling to? Uh, how did they keep going? Um, I have a feeling that they weren't just looking for some good man to rescue them, though there were some very good men who helped bring about freedom and reconciliation uh, in, in our world, uh, but they weren't, that hope wasn't rooted and grounded in a king from this world. It was rooted and grounded in the eternal king, and that's what helped those sharecroppers and people in the civil rights movement, and even the slaves keep going. They had greater hope. They didn't go to seminary. They probably didn't know nothing about no hypostatic union and none of that, but they know that there was a God who, who sat up high and looked down low, and there was a God who could make a way out of no way. I found one of the songs that people used to sing that got them through. It's a song called, Didn't My Lord Deliver Daniel? So I just want to read the lyrics to, Did, didn't my Lord deliver Daniel? This is a song that a person sings when they have no more hope in anything else in this world, any other system of this world, any other man in this world, baby ripped out of my arm, family separated. But what am I going to cling to? I'm going to cling to the fact that didn't my Lord deliver Daniel? Hear the lyrics. He delivered Daniel from the lion's den. Jonah from the belly of the whale, and the Hebrew children from the fiery furnace, and why not a every man? I set my foot on the gospel ship, and the ship it began to sail, and landed me over on Cannon's shore, and I'll never come back anymore. Didn't my Lord deliver Daniel? Didn't my deliver Daniel? Deliver Daniel? Didn't my Lord deliver Daniel? And why not for every man? Friends, whatever you are going through this morning, there is hope. There is hope. And Jesus sits on the throne. So you don't have to wait on the great man, whoever he is, 
to come. And you can take the pressure off yourself this morning, because I know some of us got pressure and anxiety on ourselves. You can take the pressure off ourselves, because you don't have to be that great man either. You don't have to deliver yourself. Like the song said, didn't our Lord de deliver Daniel? You don't have to put that stress and that weight on, your, on, on yourself. Jesus is Lord. He's already done that for you. Jesus is 100% God. Jesus is 100% God. But also, here goes the other side of that coin. Jesus is 100% man. 100% man. Um, let's read Matthew chapter 1. I told you we were going to move around today. Matthew chapter 1 verse 23 it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, right? This is the same person that Isaiah prophesied about. He said there will be one who comes and we will name him Emmanuel, God with us. And we see that prophecy being fulfilled right here in the person of Jesus Christ. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Jesus was born to a woman, 100% man. Meaning that someone had to wipe his nose. Someone had to change his diaper. He had to grow up. Alright? He was, he was a man. And that cannot be overlooked uh, and understated. The humanity and the fact that Jesus put skin on can't be overlooked and understated. And this is why. God needed a perfect human to be the substitute for you. He couldn't send a lamb to be the perfect substitute for your sin. He had to send a man to die for you. He had to send a man to die for Terrence Gray. And that man had to live a perfect life under the law. Right. Keeping it perfectly. Being perfect humanity. Doing everything right. That's very hard to even imagine that someone can do everything right. So he had to have a perfect man to die for sinful man. And so we cannot overlook the humanity of Jesus. I'll break it down a little bit more. It's like he had to have the perfect credit score, right? He had to have the 850. Jesus had to get the 850, and he took your 300, right? And so he takes the 850, and he swaps it with your 300, and now you got the perfect credit and getting all the benefits of it. And that's what Jesus did for us, and that's why he had to be a man. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it like this, God made the one who did not know sin, talking about Jesus, didn't even know sin. He made the one who did not know sin, never did nothing wrong, spotless, without blemish, without blame. He made him who did not know sin to be sin for who? For us. And so everything we've ever done, every thought, every action, every intention, everything that we've done to break the law and break the heart of God, Jesus took that upon himself. He is our great substitute and he gives us his perfect righteousness. The rest of the verse says, uh, he says, he became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There is no greater gift than that. The fact that he took our sin upon himself and he gave us his righteousness. He is good. Praise the Lord. I will praise him if nobody else does because I'm thankful for that. If I get nothing else 
He gives me his righteousness. I get the 850. <laughs> that is amazing. He was perfect humanity. He is the cosmic woulda, coulda, shoulda for us. And what I mean by that, everything that we woulda, coulda, shoulda did if we were perfect, that is what he did for us. He is perfect humanity. And it's hard to even wrap our minds around it, but he did it. And he's so good that he gives that righteousness to us. He had to be a man for that reason. There's great evidence of him being a man. He was susceptible to pain. Uh, he was susceptible to sickness, uh, human emotion. Jesus felt hunger. Uh, we see that when he's in the wilderness. Uh, Matthew 4 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, what? He was hungry. He was, he was, a, he was human. He, he got thirsty. John 19, 28 through 29. After this, Jesus realizing that by his time, this time, everything was completed, said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. Son of God, thirsty. He knows what it feels like is what I'm trying to say to you. He knows what it feels like to put on human skin and be in this world. He felt human emotion. He knows what it's like to lose, some, lose someone that you love and to be in the presence of death and have your heart broken by grief and death. We see that in the story of Lazarus. And I just want to spend a little time there. John 11, 32 through 35. This is Jesus coming up on Lazarus and Mary and the rest of his friends after his friend has died. He knows the feeling. And he knows what you're feeling. It says, now when Mary came to the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's putting that weight on him. Jesus, this is your fault. If you would have been here, he would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the people who had come with her weeping, he was intensely moved in spirit and greatly distressed. He wasn't stoic, quoting Bible verses in his head. All things work together for Lazarus. No! Some of us do that. We got to stop doing that. He was intensely moved in spirit. He felt the burden. He felt the hurt. He felt the grief. He was human. Intensely moved in spirit. I don't know if anybody's ever been intensely moved in spirit because of what life has brought you away. He was intensely moved in spirit and greatly distressed. And he asked, where have you laid him? And they replied, Lord, come and see. And this is the shortest verse of the Bible, but one of the most powerful verses of the Bible. It says, Jesus wept. The Son of God wept. The one who knows how everything works out in the end wept. The one who knows that one day I'm going to come make all things new. He wept. He was in that moment. He felt human grief. He felt human pain. And he was present with the people in that morning. In that moment. We serve a God who sits up high but looks down low. He knows how it feels. And, and we, we, when we loving our brothers and sisters as they're mourning, sometimes we just need to model that and be there and be present 
Folks don't always need your Bible study and everything you've been reading in your theology books. Sometimes you just need to be present and you, you shed a tear with a brother or sister. And we serve a God who put that human skin on and was there with his friends as they grieved. And he wept. He wept. He's there with us. He tasted death himself when he went to the cross. Right? He resurrected from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father. He, 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 he resurrected in that, in that human body. Thomas said, let me see. And he put the finger in the holes and said, yeah, I'm human. And so he gets it. He's been through what we've been through. He's gotten to the other side of what we've been through. And he's right now everywhere that we want to be one day. He is God. He is good. He's 100% human. Jesus is 100% God. Jesus is 100% man. But he's 100% God and 100% man all at the same time. And that's what messes people up. <laughs> that's what uh, has had uh, people, theologians, scratching their head for years and people fighting uh, for years. But he is 100% God and 100% man. And that's what that, that hypostatic union, that word, take it or leave it, you know, you know, you want to put it in your notes somewhere or whatever. But the fact is this, 100% God, 100% man, all at the same time. And this is offensive to some people and it's just for all of us, it's hard to wrap our minds around. Even Jesus' disciples, his homeboys, who had been around him for all these years, walking with him, even they had a hard time, they was like they were scratching their head like, man, what is this? Who is this guy? How's he doing this? Uh, I want to look at Matthew chapter 8, 23 through 27. And it says, talking about Jesus with his disciples. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And a great storm developed on the sea, so that the waves began to swamp the boat. And from what I hear, these storms were very violent, wind blowing everywhere. It was very scary, right? And so uh, the waves began to swamp the boat, water filling up the boat. Where's Jesus? But he was asleep. Once again, he's human. He was asleep. He was taking a nap. Long day. So he's, he's knocked out on the boat. And so they came and woke him up. You know, imagine waking up Jesus. They woke him up. He says, Lord, save us. We are about to die. But he said to them, why are you cowardly, you people of little faith? Haven't you seen me? Haven't you seen what I've been doing? I just fed the 20,000 people with the two fish and five loaves. You forgot about that thing already. But he said to them, why are you cowardly, you people of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it was dead calm. Now imagine that. Man sleep, wakes up, tornado everywhere is crazy, wind blowing every which way. Stop. Stops. Now imagine you in that boat. And imagine what you're thinking about. And it says, the men were amazed and said, what sort of person is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. They've been walking with this man. This is Joseph's boy. This is the carpenter from Nazareth. Nothing good come from Nazareth. And that's where he's from. Right? 
He's a poor rabbi. He was just asleep. He get tired like the rest of us. And this violent storm shows up and he just stops it. And they're like, who is this? Who is, who is this man? Friends, Jesus is the God who controls the ocean but still sits in the boat with us. Wrap your mind around that. He's the God who controls the sea, controls the ocean, but still sits in a boat with us. He's the God who controls the universe, everything out there going on, but also is thoroughly acquainted with every detail of your life. Even the details you don't want him to be acquainted with. He's acquainted with every detail of your life. He is the God-man. As we close, we, we talk a lot about giving up our rights and laying down our privileges for the benefit of others. Um, God becoming human, leaving heaven, allowing himself to be murdered by people. There is no bigger sacrifice. That is the ultimate laying down of one's rights. And if you think uh, that you have a lot to give up, actually you have nothing to give up compared to that. He is the perfect model of incarnation, laying your life down, giving up your rights for the good of others. Others. He is our model in that. And I, I really will close with this. Philippians 2, 6 through 8, it says, He who though he existed in the form of God, did not, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. He was God, but he, he didn't go for his rights when he could have. He disadvantaged himself. He never stopped being God, but he disadvantaged himself for the sake of you and me. That's why he stayed on that cross when he could have gotten up. He laid down his rights. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave. King of the universe taking on the form of a slave. By looking like other men. And by sharing in human nature. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on the cross. Friends, Jesus became human and died for us. Then rose from the dead, defeating sin and death forever. And if you don't get anything else, I pray that you get that. He became sin, died on that cross, and gave up everything, gave up all of his rights so that we might become the righteousness of God. So I just want to ask is, or are, I want to talk directly to you, are you still looking for that great man, still hoping that he's just going to show up and make things right? Are you still trying to be everything? I'm trying to be the savior in your house. I've only been married for four years and I, I know this much, like though God has called me to be the head of my home, Jesus is ultimately the head of my home and things go a lot better when I let him be the king and head of my home. Amen. You don't have to be everything, and you will fail, and people will fail you. So let's stop, you know, believing the Hollywood lies that we have to be everything for every 
body. Even in preaching this sermon, it's not up to me to make sure that you get it. God is the one who will make sure you get it. Um, the other way, trying to be the hero, is just anxiety, stress, eating this, drinking that, smoking this, smoking that, working here, doing this, whatever, whatever way you feel the void. It's all of that done, right, just trying to make it and trying to pull off this persona that you can do it all. None of us can do it all. We all fall short, and there's only one uh, great man, only, and that's the God man, Jesus Christ, the one who's 100% God, 100% man, all at the same time. And I just want to say this, for those of you who are uh, investigating the faith, and you're like, man, I don't know what you, I don't know if I buy into that. I just want to encourage you, read the book of John. It's a good book to read just to get an idea of who Jesus is. Uh, and I just want to Give you one recommendation, book called The Case for Christ by a man by the name of Lee Strobel. Give that one a, a read as well. If you just like, I want to know more about who this Jesus is. The Case, of Christ, Case for Christ uh, by Lee Strobel. And just remember, brothers and sisters, we serve the God who controls the ocean, but still is in the boat with us, even when that boat gets rocky. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus' name. Just thank you that you would even care about us. That, we, that you would leave the comforts of heaven and put human skin on. That you would make yourself susceptible to the violence of wicked man. God, we thank you for your humility and we pray that you would teach us how to live that out as well. I pray for those in this room who do not know you. I pray that you would make yourself real to them. And I pray for those who call themselves Christians in this room that they would not forget who you truly are. And that we would all live in light of the fact that you are God, that you are king, and you are the sovereign ruler of this universe. And we don't have to spend our days trying to be everything or looking for someone else to be our everything because you already are everything, Lord God. And we thank you for that, that you call us your own. It's in your mighty son's Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And we're going to take some time to worship the Lord through our giving. And this is a serious time where we seriously worship the Lord with what he's given us and we give back to him. So we're going to take some time to do that.